escalating costs are affecting every sector of the agricultural industry, from soaring energy costs to fertiliser price hikes. I'm Farmers Guardian Head of Business Alex Black, and on this week's Over the Farmgate podcast, I'll be bringing you a market update from around the livestock rings and the fertiliser market. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Friday, so hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Later on, I'll be talking fertiliser prices, but first of all, we're heading to the auction marts, where I've been catching up with H&H's Scott Donaldson about what's happening around the ring. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. So we're getting to the end now of 2022. Do you want to take a little bit of a look back at the year, I suppose? The, the big thing, obviously, early on in the year being the um, invasion of, of Ukraine and how that's affected the whole agricultural sector. So, I mean, could you take us a little bit through how that's affected H&H and the farmers this year? Yeah, isn't it strange how we go from uh, one uh, one catastrophe to another? We, we, we come out of COVID and, and uh, the next thing... Uh, Mr. Putin has decided to uh, a land grab in Ukraine, which nobody could have foreseen. I don't suppose, and, and the impact on the industry has been, you know, well, catastrophic, really. Um, firstly, the fertilizer price, and then of course grain prices started shooting through the roof, and and then energy prices when he started uh, taking control of gas supplies. It, it's been quite a, a kind of perfect storm, really, and. and it's just as well the values of things have been, you know, strong because I think a lot of farmers, and, and I'm not saying they're 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 having a good time just now because on the face of it it looks okay because values are good, but uh, the cost of production in almost every category of farming at the minute, and especially livestock farming, is uh, is is huge, and and that's having a big impact on how our how our customers react and respond and and uh, and how they they kind of do their business. And what about yourselves at the Mart? I mean, how has the inflationary pressure affected you guys? I think in a way, I was at the Livestock Auctioneers Association AGM this weekend down in Worcester and uh, and chatting amongst all the other guys in the industry. I think as auctioneers, we, we're relatively um, lucky in that we're not directly affected by the huge increase in costs. Um, I suppose what it has done it's maybe made us rather acutely aware of uh, cash flow for our farming customers, and um, and and the change in the subsidy sort of set up this year with them getting a half, with you know with farmers getting their BPS um, half in half in July, and then the the rest coming up before the end of the year. That changed their cash flow as well, and I don't think maybe for the better. Um, so we're very aware of our customers' uh, difficulties at the minute, and 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 we're trying to work with them to make sure that we can allow them to continue doing business in the best possible way, I suppose. And then we go on sort of further on in the year, and we get to to summer and the drought that a lot of the country faced. I know uh, in Cumbria you're probably less affected um, there than anywhere else, and, and us down here in Lancashire. But just tell me a little bit about the droughts uh, affected the markets. Yeah, interesting. We obviously, you know, we operate H and H operate eight different centres, and and you know we're up in St Boswells and, and the Scottish Borders, and over in Wooler and the east of Northumberland, uh, northeast Northumberland. 
and it was definitely a game of two halves. You know, so so the borders was very very dry. Uh, the Wooler area um, up up that uh, kind of Glendale Valley was well, it was just a bit like a desert really. So and, and I've seen it before. I think that the last time it was as bad as that would be back in uh, in I think 1995. It was very very dry up there. Uh, and, and there was a shortage of forage and a shortage of grazing and, and, and there was no aftermath after after silage and people were selling stock early. Um, and that's, I suppose that's what happened this time. So we've seen, certainly up there, uh, lamb numbers came forward quickly because people had no grass and needed to, to give the ewes a break. So um, they were getting lambs away quickly, which was, which was fine. And, and conversely, across sort of west of the Pennines, with a lot, you know, a, a, not maybe plentiful grass, but certainly a lot more greenness. Um, people didn't, they, they, there wasn't that panic. So, and the grass kept growing all through the autumn and into the late autumn. So, over on the west of the Pennines, people haven't been in a panic to sell stock. Um, but I think that's probably had an effect on the quality of the stock latterly. Lambs haven't fattened that well off the grass. So, I think there's still quite a lot of lambs out there, certainly on this side of the Pennines. And and cattle probably stayed out longer than they might have done as well. Um, so I suppose with the price of feed, that was going to impact on that as well. People did not want to feed anything. So if they thought the grass was going to do the job, they kept them out longer. And and I think what we are seeing now is, uh, yeah, there's still a fair number of lambs to come, certainly this side of the country. Uh, a lot of lambs have been sold store in the, in the east because of the, the lack of grass. But over this side, there's still a lot of lambs to come, and and the store lambs have still to come back through again, of course. And so, the fat trades, what is it? Do we twenty pence a kilo less than we were this time last year, uh, roughly? Uh, and 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 store cattle. Well, it's a game of two halves as well because the good cattle are are, are carrying flesh and a bit of strength. They are a really good trade, really easy to sell. But cattle that start to look a bit weathered and just be left out maybe on the grass a month too long. Uh, they're they're quite hard to cash. Um, so there is a it is very much those that have looked after the cattle and have you know kept feeding them, kept them in good condition, are, are reaping the reward. Those that have let them run around a bit too long without too much attention are uh, are maybe struggling a bit. Uh, and what about the dairy trade as well? Have you got any insights on that? Well, the dairy trade. I mean, obviously the milk price is. Um, has crossed a few barriers this this season, and uh, we started talking about. Well, it wasn't that wasn't that long ago. If you got over thirty pence a litre, it was a good price. Now, now we're over fifty pence a litre in some cases, uh, and there is a confidence out there. Um, you know, good in uh, you know good um, freshly calved heifers. You know, when just over two thousand was a good price a year ago. Now that's now just over three thousand uh, is 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 the sort of top end of these good heifers, and so there is a lot of confidence out there. But dairy farmers have the same uh, issues that we all have. The cost of running a dairy is uh, is considerable. Electricity and, and fuel. It's uh, there's a, there's a huge cost to come off it. So it's although it, again it looks good, the headline prices prices look good. It's not just. As easy as uh, as as some may make out to make it out to be, and you know we've talked a little bit about what's going on at the moment. Uh, looking forward over the the coming months, because we've got the run up to Christmas coming, and then into the new year. What do you expect um, to come ahead? Well, the one thing that's been a, very evident this year is the is the value of cast cows, um, and 
they've been flying all summer, all, all summer and, and into the autumn. And despite the, what we normally get a glut of cast cows as people, you know, clear out, you know, anything with a problem before they bring them inside and you get your suckler men, AIM, um, PDing cows and start clearing out what's not in calf. The, the cow prices remain exceptionally high, so that's going to keep the beef price strong. Um, they seem to there's a, there's a lot of demand for processing meat. Um, I think probably that over the last two or three weeks, the the processors have found it hard to shift the better cuts to quality. So, but the cow trade is going to keep the beef price pretty strong. Um, so that that looks in a pretty good place. Lamb trade is difficult just to gauge. I think we're all wondering how many lambs are still out there. Um, but you would expect with the number of lambs sold store this year because of the lack of grass in a lot of a lot of the countryside, there's still quite a lot of lambs to come. Um, and they did, they have rallied a bit. They looked like they were going to drop about three or four weeks ago, but they've rallied a bit again and, and the markets are averaging sort of 245 to 255. So um, things are a bit better. Uh, but I, I can't see that altering much. I think the lamb trade list stick, maybe stick where it is. Very much, I think it'll be very much... Uh, dependent on the feeders that are feeding a lot of lambs, they'll sell them when they can. But if the land, if the price drops below a certain level, they'll just hold. And I think that's what's going to command the, the, the value now. And obviously you you and your auctioneers are on the ground talking to farmers around the rings and, and in the cafe, which I think is one of the biggest barometers for what's going on and what's on people's minds. What are the farmers and your auctioneers talking about around the rings? One of the main topics will be the number again go back to the number of cast cows we're selling uh, and how many of them are suckler cows and how many of them are as a result of people reducing numbers or putting suckler cows off a lot of talk about the, the suckler cow herd reducing and the number of farms especially in the southwest of scotland and into the scottish borders that are being bought up to 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 be planted and um, that's a real concern for us um Food security. I mean, you would not, you wouldn't normally hear farmers talking about food security, but it's it's high up the agenda now. Everybody's very aware of the price of things and struggling to understand government policy when it comes to reducing production by environmental schemes. And uh, I think we're all wondering how that's all going to, you know, how it's going to end up. And you know, we don't, we don't want to see. Sh- empty shelves and supermarkets but that looks like we're, where we're going to end up um and i suppose that you know we all we're always concerned that the supermarkets who with the best will in the world don't seem to be as uh, as supportive of british farming as we would like them to be we're very quick to try and find produce elsewhere and the egg industry is one that was high it's, it's on the headlines at the minute i mean bringing eggs in from italy seems absolutely bizarre uh, when when our own egg producers can't get what it costs to produce them from the supermarkets, and and that just sort of really sends a bit of a red flag up, um, I think for for farmers that we haven't got the confidence uh, in the retailers to support us when we need support, and uh, I think with everything we talk about with environmental things, if you can't if you can't uh, supply local produce. In supermarkets, especially our local produce that is readily available, then it's a bad job. 
And um, moving on a little bit, I know we've had a bit of an end of an era for Harrison and Hetherington um, with Don Harrison stepping down from from your board. Do you want just just tell me a little bit about Don and I suppose about um, about the history of um, the Harrison and the Hetherington's involvement in the company? Yeah, well, Don's been a, a, an absolutely superb um, representative on the board uh you know for a long long time the only um female on the board uh, lynn mallinson is now you know we joined her um last year so um you know we have quite a diverse board here at h and h with a lot of different um, um expertise uh, on that board and 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 the i mean don has always brought um a very uh, um honest and open approach to the way we run the business very always very aware of our people and how we treat our people and 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 she's been she has been a a, a very very uh, important part of that group of people that run this business um obviously the last remaining harrison on the board so you know harrison and Hetherington being uh, you know started with two people many many years ago building the business in the middle of carlisle uh and we moved out to uh, board away in 1974. So there's quite a lot of discussion about how we redevelop or improve the, this facilities here and bring them more up to date, you know, considering it was 1974. We've been here quite a long time, you know, nearly uh, 50 years in a couple of years. Uh, so there's, we've got great plans to improve the facilities here. And and, and Don's been a, a really important part of, of the progress of the business over, over the last number of years. And, and, and we'll be very sad to lose her influence on the board. Excellent. And just going, you know, st- sticking with that theme, I suppose, of, of the auction market itself. I mean, what are your focuses over the next few months and, and years ahead, I suppose? Well, I think it's, it's to consolidate our position. I think, you know, talking to my colleagues in the industry at the weekend, there, I think all auction markets have enjoyed two pretty good years. Values have been good. And there's one thing that COVID did. It, it sort of it, it confirmed the importance of, of our part in the chain uh, and and you know, we're, we're well supported by farmers and well supported by sort of whole family wholesalers and butchers which have, have kept the live trade going especially in the prime stock markets so it's just keeping that driving forward maintaining those links maintaining those the, the uh, relationships with our customers and making sure that we are fit for purpose and uh, and fit for the future and I think all auction markets are looking at that. You know, we've, we've got to look at diversifying. We're doing a lot of online sales now with machinery and a few bits and pieces of time, online time sales for livestock. And of course, online biddings become a, a big factor in pedigree sales. So, you know, the, we're always looking forward to see what we can, uh, how we can improve what we offer. And the next generation of farmer will have, I'm absolutely sure, a slightly different outlook than the last. And uh, we have to make sure that we are ready to, you know, cope with the demands of the next uh, the next generation of farmer. And that online way of selling is a bit of a hangover from COVID nineteen. Just tell me a little bit about how you've embraced that. Yes, yeah, I suppose that's exactly what it did. Yeah, for me, you know, it 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 made us probably forced us uh, in lots of ways to to look at alternatives and and to drive some of the initiatives that we'd been considering for a while, drive them forward, and and probably brought them brought them uh, into use quicker than we might have done. Um, not all auction markets have, have, have taken that decision. Uh, some have, some have uh, embraced the online side more than others, but 
I think it's an important part of what we do. And, you know, everybody expects everything instantly now, you know, between social media and and, and, and websites and, and, and uh, smartphones, etc. Everything, everybody wants everything at the touch of a button. They want to know exactly what's going on all the time. It's not a case of, with the greatest of respect, waiting until the farmer's guardian lands on the debt on your desk. You're now looking up to see what it's what, what they're saying online. And uh, and that's changed the whole face of what we do and how we interact with our customers. And yeah, there's loads to do still and, and, and it'll become slicker and better. And, and and hopefully it'll will make sure that we are, as an industry, the livestock auction market system will be future-proof. But that physical auction and that physical building, that still remains a big part of, of what you do. Yeah, there is nothing, absolutely nothing better than uh, a, a, a ring full of people competing for livestock, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, look at what, I look at some of the things that are going on in Ireland with the way they, those guys sell their livestock, there's very few people in the auction markets, there's more online bidding and I, I think there's a balance to be had, uh, we need to keep bringing people together to, to operate these sales, to create the buzz, to create the atmosphere. Uh, but there's, a, as I say, there's a balance to be had. We need to, I, I don't think we want to go too far down one line at the risk of losing what we're extremely good at and the benefits of bringing people together. So uh, it's just a case of trying to find, walk that fine line. Thank you to Scott. Now, fertiliser has been one of the most affected areas by the war in Ukraine. Joe Gilbertson from AIC has been telling me more about what's happened in 2022. All right, Joe, so do you want to take us back to September last year before the invasion of Ukraine and tell us where we were then and what's happened since? Yeah, as your readers will recall, um, this issue had been brewing for some considerable time. Uh, If we cast our mind back before the Ukraine invasion, uh, there was already soundings from the major nitrogen producers that they were running into trouble from a production point of view because the gas price was starting to increase anyway. if you can cast your mind back to the happy days when ammonium nitrate retailed for about £260 a tonne, that was basically because we'd had an exceedingly stable gas price, uh, roughly around about 40, 45 pence a therm. Um, What started to happen at the end of last year, well, autumn last year, was that the gas price started to rise very sharply. And that was basically nothing so much to do with the Ukraine as such, but just there was a general shortage of gas and gas reserves as we were moving into winter from a European and a UK point of view. And there was a press by developing nations, particularly China, for liquid natural gas, which we would normally have tried to get hold of and ship in to boost gas supplies in Europe. And obviously, as that became scarce, because China's got deep pockets and it's pushing itself to go off coal and onto gas from a CO2 um, reduction program of its own, um, uh, we were seeing a very rapid increase in the price of gas where it jumped from 
45p to about 250 pence and then to about three pounds. Now, that was a sort of fivefold increase. So all of a sudden, the cost of manufacturing fertilizer jumped by five times, 500 percent. And fertilizer fat factories, having never come across that kind of pressure on their main um, input, uh, basically switched off production. Now that caused all sorts of problems in the UK. You remember carbon dioxide shortages because obviously CF was also manufacturing carbon dioxide as a, as a byproduct. Um, we also had a, an additional uh, factor based around compound prices where the, again, uh, huge global demand for P and K meant that those were also running at exceptionally high levels of a thousand pounds a ton upwards and therefore the price of compounds was similarly extremely high uh, plus uh, we started to see uh, as we moved through uh, Christmas and into the new year then we started to see the impacts of the war in Ukraine uh, and basically gas prices just kept steadily rising. Uh, I was looking at a graph today. We've been as high as nine pounds a term from 45p. Now, every pound in the gas price costs a fertilizer manufacturer roughly about half a million pounds a day in additional gas prices. Um, when you're looking at eight or nine pounds a therm, you're in the over a billion pounds a year for gas sort of costs and it just companies just can't afford to manufacture because they can't afford to borrow <laughs> money to actually buy the gas uh, similarly if they put it on sale at the price it costs them to manufacture it to get that price back they could nobody can afford to to actually buy it I mean, nobody actually knows at what price it becomes unrealistic to put money down to buy fertilizer. But I think we can all sort of work out that it gets exceedingly expensive once it gets above the sort of £600 a, a tonne level because farmers are trying to calculate will they still get a return based on what a future grain or oilseed price will be. So it gets extremely complicated and muddy and nobody really knows the answer. You've also got to look at it from a, uh, an investment point of view, from the fertilizer manufacturer's point of view. Having got up to nine pounds a therm, um, if it drops and you've already bought the gas at nine pounds, uh, for every pound that it goes down by, you're losing between uh, 500,000 pounds a day uh, on on, on, on just the gas and having bought it you've got to buy it for a month two months or three months worth ahead so you committed yourself to you know potentially you know hundreds of millions of pounds worth of gas so you're stuck with a price that you've got to sell your fertilizer for yet you know that potentially as the gas price comes down other people can potentially come in later on in the market at cheaper gas price and undercut you 
So you then end up with a a price where maybe you're selling fertilizer for a thousand pounds a ton, but an importer can get hold of something from maybe the Middle East for six hundred pounds a ton, and all of a sudden you're looking at four hundred pounds a ton difference on three months worth of production. So this is the reason why fertilizer companies stop manufacturing when the gas price goes up sharply. But similarly, when gas prices are starting to come down, they're reluctant to switch on because until they get a bit of stability in the gas price, it's not safe because every 50p that comes down costs them <laughs> millions of pounds. Um, so we've got two problems at the moment. One is the gas price being high, certainly higher than previously because that affects the cost of production and that affects the cost of fertilizer as far as farmers see it. But we've also got the problem of what is necessary to encourage a fertilizer manufacturer to switch primary nitrogen production back on in Europe is not just the high price of gas, but the, the price of gas stabilizing over a relatively significant period of time so that you don't get this day-to-day -day fluctuation or weekly or monthly fluctuations that could potentially cost millions of pounds. So very difficult situation at the moment. Uh, I would go as far as to say unprecedented and that's the reason why everybody's really nervous at the moment. If people knew a bit like, you know, uh, harvest will come in 12 months time, if we knew that the gas price would sort itself out in six months or eight months time, people would start doing some kind of clever forecasting. But at the moment, nobody knows where this is going. Um, and really, the uncertainty now is all about the Ukraine, really. It's uh, we're seeing uh, concern uh, amongst European producers that even if the gas price stabilizes and the gas price comes down, if there is a sudden cold snap, there's no guarantee that they'll be allowed to continue production because there's a risk that the member states would just switch off the gas supply to these large gas users in order to preserve electricity generation or heating to domestic and uh, uh, high priority users such as hospitals and the like. And that's also a concern over here. I mean, it, it's very easy to say when you, uh, if, if you take a, a sort of uh, primary nitrogen producer like CF or Yara or uh, OCI or Borealis, any of them, you know, they're using uh, probably um, about as much gas as Manchester would use. Uh, in their plant. So it's a significant amount of uh, gas. Uh, you can't afford to be stranded by government suddenly making a decision to switch off supply if you get a cold snap. So I'm not saying that's the issue in the UK, but just generally in Europe, that's another factor that's adding to the nervousness of manufacturers in terms of the gas price is too high and I can't afford it and the banks won't lend me any money to buy the gas. The gas price is too volatile, so I can't take a risk on manufacturing, even if I could get the money, or if, for example, a government lent me the money, 
because I'd have to pay it back still. And if the price of fertilizer came down and I was stuck at a high gas price, I'd be losing money on that deal. And then you've also got the risk that a government might at any time protect the nation's sort of uh, electricity supply or heating supply by switching you off. And that would leave you stranded as well. So uh, it's very awkward at the moment. Uh, that is sort of where we are with sort of European gas production at the moment. Obviously, gas is available elsewhere in the world. And we are seeing that whilst we've got this problem, uh, which is very much localised to Europe, uh, although there's still a high demand for fertiliser that keeps prices relatively high worldwide, um, there is fertiliser available further afield outside Europe, and Europe's rich enough to be able to bid for that and to buy it. But it comes at a cost, which is that we're taking that from the mouths of other people elsewhere in the world. So we're sort of outbidding and using our economic muscle to be able to acquire fertiliser when we need it. Um, so we're seeing an increase in the imports of urea, for example, at the moment, which is filling the ammonium nitrate um, sort of shortages and CAN shortages that we normally see filled from European sources. Um, but um, as I said, even that's volatile because obviously as we're taking that, demand increases and therefore the price starts to be reflected uh, by that as well because uh, the producers that are producing that in the Middle East, for example, will will <laughs> sell it to the highest bidder. And when there's a bidding war, obviously the price goes up again. So even that doesn't stabilise the price at the moment. Very difficult problem. And what about other sort of major agricultural exporters and, and producers like in North America and, and South America, are they facing similar kinds of issues? Everybody's fighting for resource at the moment. Um, when we take, I don't know what the European um, production is as part of the world production of nitrogen, it's probably 11, 12%. If you take 12%, sort of the nitrogen production out of the world, um, it's got, a, there's a finite amount of capacity, if you know what I mean. There's no, there's no spare nitrogen plants just waiting to fire up on the off chance, because uh, it's a very expensive business. So essentially what you're doing is you're saying, well, you know, we've, 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 um, we've taken, um, you know, 12% of the sort of global production of nitrogen out because of this volatility and we're trying to acquire that by taking it from somewhere else so uh, you know it's it's affecting global prices for fertilizer generally that's why we're seeing a sort of volatility in the price of uh, things like uh, as I said uh, P and K uh, but we're also seeing volatility in the price of uh, substitutes for ammonium nitrate and can, such as urea, particularly solid urea. Um, but we're also seeing it in UAN as well, because the UAN prices are globally fixed as well, and they'll reflect what substitute products like solid urea are doing at the moment. So that 10% or that 12% 
shortage is influencing global prices and, and forcing them up. And so what's been the impact on industry, I suppose, reaction from, from farmers to, you know, having to pay these higher prices? What what impact has it had? It's very difficult. Uh, I mean, clearly we've got a couple of problems. One is we've seen the impact it's had on CF with the closure of INTS. That was basically, uh, INTS was, although it made nitrogen, it was it was principally uh, built um, back in the uh, 70s for the production of compound fertilizers as part of a sort of ICI sort of um, product range. Um, there's been a reduction in the demand for compounds generally. Um, and what's happening because of the high prices is that uh, demand has continued to reduce and has actually been accelerated as farmers have focused on basically saying, well, I've got a finite amount of money that I can spend on inputs and I've got a finite amount of money within those inputs for fertilizer <laughs> and I can't afford compounds and nitrogen. So I'm going to focus on what I think gives me the best best return. And they've interpreted that in the main as nitrogen. So we're seeing a switching of a general spend on fertilizer in a sort of more balanced way to a more focused spend on fertilizer, mainly on nitrogen to the detriment of compounds. Um, this is seen more to be impacting on livestock, I think, rather than arable. Um, certainly cereals and grains, because they've retained their price and they've achieved premium prices as a result of shortages, basically due to the war in the Ukraine. Uh, whilst that's caused problems for the price of nitrogen, it's also sort of given something back to the farmer in the sense that the returns uh, have still been there uh, and have rewarded the use of fertilizer in terms of yields. Um, and uh, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, anecdotally, um, you know, grain and oilseed farmers have probably seen good returns uh, this last harvest as a result of that. Uh, the weather helped as well in terms of you know, dry a dry harvest. Um, in terms of dairy, the milk price has kept pace to a certain extent with the increase uh, in the cost of inputs, and therefore, again, that seems to be uh, holding its own. Uh, as I said, it seems to be the uh, grassland uh, meat. Um, farmers that uh, seem to be um, struggling. And that's certainly something when I'm in conversation with DEFRA and NFU and AHDB, that's the thing we're trying to get a, a finger on in terms of understanding how that's, uh, how that's being affected. Part of the problem has been difficulties in just the way cash flows work there. It's very difficult to say buy early if you're a livestock farmer, if you're a uh, if you're a, a a big grain or oilseed farmer, 
you 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 tend to have less of a cash flow problem and also less of a storage problem in terms of being able to stockpile and get get your product in uh, early livestock farmers are uh, um, victims of circumstance really more than anything else and they tend to be the ones that enter into the market late in the season uh, you know so we'd traditionally be seeing them buying the majority of their product uh, in the new year and that's traditionally when prices have been at their highest and also when demand is often highest as well so um, for, for that reason the problem there will be that obviously that's coming in in a, a time of the year from a European point of view when gas is in high demand from a domestic and a heating point of view and therefore gas prices are unlikely to be low then and therefore they're having to buy almost on a spot market point of view at a time when the sort of raw material costs for manufacturing are going to be extremely high so they get the worst of all the all the worlds really so we're we're all very concerned uh, for their welfare at the moment um, and that's the the main aspect of conversations at the moment with government and what about the impact on food security? I mean, that's been a big topic of conversation, you know, whether you're here in the UK, obviously, with the cost of living or over, I know, a lot of the countries in, in Africa that are facing, you know, food shortages. What's the impact of, you know, the fertiliser price on food security worldwide? Yeah, that's a very um, good question. Um, if we take the UK government's point of view, and this is my personal view from talking to DEFRA officials and having spoken to ministers over the course of the last 18 months and there's been a succession of ministers um, so their views haven't always necessarily coincided. The general view up until very recently was that the UK didn't have a food security problem. Now the reason, and it's not me saying that, that's, this is the government sort of um, proposition and the reason for that was we can afford to buy it and that's almost manifest it was like well yeah that sort of is more or less the way that this administration has treated food production and farming generally hasn't it I, 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 sort of mm, yeah uh, uh, I think they're starting to change their position uh, in the same way that we're starting to see signals that are changing position on a lot of other things as the economy and the recession deepen. I mean, we're seeing overtures over the weekend towards Europe being a little bit more uh, warmer than perhaps they have in the past. Where, uh, And I think that's the same with uh, attitudes towards food security. And I think one of the issues that we suffer from as a nation is we're not good at strategic planning. We have no strategic plan for food production or how farming should be done in the UK in the sense of, you know, op, you know, we're, we're still not sure, are we, as a as a ag, ag, agricultural industry, farmers and inputs, whether or not we're supposed to be protecting the environment or or going hell for leather to produce food, or somewhere in a halfway house, and even Elms can't make its mind up at the moment what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, we're still withdrawing subsidies 
from farmers, yet we're also acknowledging that the cost of production is more than the value of the goods. Uh, and therefore we're seeing shortages on shelves and we're seeing the increase in the uh, price of food by percent in some cases. Um, you know, so uh, what's interesting is once it starts affecting availability of food on shelves, such as eggs, for example, politicians have to wake up and start taking notice and they have to lose their dogma about free trade and being able to buy stuff from anywhere in the world and focus on votes. Now, there's no votes from the uh, fertilizer industry as far as politicians are concerned, and there's probably very few for farmers, but there are lots for people who can't buy eggs in Sainsbury's on a Saturday morning. Um, so I think, you know, that's the thing that is probably going to change um, government's attitude towards farming and food security is actually people, you know, uh, consumers. Uh, voicing their concerns and opinions publicly on social media and directly to MPs. In terms of food security worldwide, it's a major problem. Uh, the Ukraine uh, is <laughs> genuinely North Africa's certainly breadbasket. Um, so all the Northern African states are totally reliant on grain exports. Um, despite the sterling work Turkey was doing to get exports started from the sort of um, Black Sea ports. Um, you know, it, it's a drop in the ocean really as to how much is available there. We've got <laughs> this new harvest that's not able to go anywhere either, even though the old, the previous harvest is still there as well. You know, the danger is that spoils. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're reliant on that area for um, supplementary grain, uh, animal feed, um, oils. We've seen that, you know, the price of uh, cooking oil has gone up um, immeasurably uh, since the uh, 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 Ukrainian crisis has uh, developed. Um, so, yeah, we're basically supplementing our um, fertilizer imports by taking that from needier countries. Um, I can't debate the rights and wrongs of that because that's the way global economies work, but it's um, just one more you know, thing that maybe government, if it looked at a food security strategy for the UK that was based on home production uh, or integrated European production like we used to have with, you know, utilising local supply chains better. Um, yeah, we would you'd be the wealthy countries looking after ourselves rather than pillaging poorer countries. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of merit in developing a... Uh, domestic food strategy and you know I don't, I don't want to ask you to get your crystal ball out but uh, over the coming months and, and years even ahead you know what do you see happening in the in the short and, and medium term we're totally reliant on gas for nitrogen fertilizer production uh, there is not enough gas either from the north sea or within europe unless we take gas from Russia. Um, we can pump it in in the short term via tankers, 
liquid natural gas, that kind of thing. But it will still be expensive if we want to get anywhere back to what normal used to look like. We have to see uh, peace between Russia and the Ukraine, really, and the normalization of relations uh, from a trade point of view with Russia. So it's really dependent on that. Um, everything else is sort of managing around a crisis. Uh, uh, so, you know, all the other things are really either very long term, i.e., you know, an energy policy that's going to take until about 2050 to implement. Um, you know, if you want a short term solution, it's as long as it takes to bring a stable peace to um, Russia, Ukraine conflict and normalise relations, trading relations with Russia. Thank you to Joe. Now, the latest edition of Farmer's Guardian hits the shelves today with all of the latest farming headlines, including why DEFRA has backtracked on its animal export vet plan, and a look at the autumn statement and what that means for your farming business. That's it for this week's episode of Over the Farmgate. We'll be back with another episode next Friday. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now. Bye.